Hello again. Hello. It's the Creative Coding Podcast. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm Ian Lobb. And I'm Seb Lee Delisle. You can find us on... Let's start with the good one. Patreon.com slash creative coding. Yes, the one where you can give us money. Yay. Yeah, we're a crowd. Um, we're a crowdfunded podcast where, you know, we'd like to make the podcast sustainable by having people give us some money so we can keep doing it. You know, um, we're, we're up to $99 a month right now. Smashing so it. So close to $100. Come on, you know, you want to just top it over. Yep. There must be some people with slight anal retentive tendencies who want to make it just go to a hundred dollars yeah you like round numbers yeah support us yeah no but thanks everyone who is supporting us we really appreciate it yeah where else can they find us ccpod.co yeah that's our website cc underscore pod on twitter facebook page yeah facebook page like all the things and you know what's really useful is um we keep popping into the itunes podcast charts which is (laughs) It's, it's a roller coaster, isn't it, Ian? Oh, it is. Like one day we'll be like, we could be number 15 in technology and then we'll be down to 120 and then we're off the charts again. It's so random. It's so mad. So I, found, I did some research and apparently it likes when people subscribe to the podcast in the podcasts app. Right. Apple one. So if you could uh, subscribe, that would be great. And what's also really, really good is rating us and reviewing us. We haven't had any new ones for a little while. We might have in different foreign uh, stores. I, I had a look in in the American ones, and we had right. one. Okay, but I can't remember what it said. It was nice. Yeah, but and or just tell other people about the podcast. Like if you enjoy it, and you know someone else that like might enjoy it too. There must be some sort of social network that you can share good things with your yeah. friends. On. I don't know. They should invent that. If they, they should inv- definitely invent that. <laughs> yeah, call it like Friendster or like <laughs> yeah. my friend face. Friend face, yeah. <laughs> I've got a bit of news. My Brighton workshops are nearly sold out. There's just a couple of uh, tickets left for that. That's at the end of, oh, when is it? It's the beginning of June. But I've got a new workshop in Amsterdam, which I'm going to be putting on sale next week. So if you want to know about that, sign up to my mailing list, st4i.com. It's my Internet of Things workshop using Raspberry Pi and JavaScript. And you get a whole kit for the electronics. It's really, really good fun. So the Amsterdam dates will be end of June. Yeah, sign up to my mailing list. You'll be the first here. I'm also doing a comedy night in London, an evening of unnecessary detail, which is from uh, the Festival of the Spoken Nerd People. That's a really, really fun night. I'm going to be talking about cathode ray tubes. But you just did Casio keyboards. Yeah. You have to keep coming up with a new one every time. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) That's hard work. Isn't comedy just about repeating the same material? Yeah, I think it is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're doing it wrong i'm doing it wrong aren't i you're doing comedy they, wrong. well when they first asked me to do it i gave them a whole list of things to do and i thought because you know i love vector graphics yeah right so i said oh, i could do something about vector graphics and i can talk about cathode ray tubes and my lasers and all of that and they liked the idea so much that they did a whole evening about vectors so the evening is called v for vector wow and i'm probably going to bring a laser if they let me that's cool so that's um, 31st of May in London, in Bethnal Green. A-E-O-U-D dot com, I believe. There you go. Cool. So we're today we're carrying on with the... It's part two of the game design special. Yeah. Ian's Guide to Game Design, as it's sometimes called. Yeah, I like it. When we last met, we spoke about the 
Triforce of Game Mechanics. Uh, okay. It was all about game mechanics. And this one were all about audiovisual feedback. So, which is that's sort of the visual communication part of games, basically. Yeah. Go and listen to the first part if you haven't listened to it. But um, What episode was it? I can't remember. 53. The way we're doing this is it's some slides from a presentation that I gave. And we're basically just going through the slides and chatting about them rather than having me like give a lecture. We're reusing content. Yeah. So the slide I had said the game lets me know what I'm doing and why. And this is like, that's what the player should be thinking, basically, or, or should be experiencing. They should They should know what's going on in the game. Yeah. And... They should know what when they do something, they should know what they've done, why they've done it, what effect it's had on the world and so on. Yeah, I mean, I think f- feedback is is the most critical part of a game, isn't it? I mean, it dictates everything about how it feels. Yeah. The addictiveness of it, the physics of it, the speed, the pace, the, you know, the emotion, I think, is is often comes, comes through that feedback, right? Say you have anything like you your character has health in the game. You want to communicate what the player's health is at any one time. When you lose health, you want to make it really obvious that you've lost health. And if you gain some health back, you want to make that obvious too. Mm. So rather than just having numbers that change, it's all about having, you know, there's a whole range of like different visual effects you can use and different ways of communicating the same thing basically Mm. so the guys who made um is guys okay to say as for everyone some people say no but i'm not going to stop i'd say no the team ubisoft montpellier who made the rayman games they have this idea called rational design or rational game design which is basically Um, I'm going to read the quote from the article that the guy wrote about it, which is eliminating unnecessary information, making things inherently readable, understandable and apparent, introducing mechanics in an orderly and easily digestible fashion and preserving the learning and difficulty curves of a game. So the, the point of this is to not just go, I'm going to just make a game and shove everything into it. It's like, I'm going to make a game. These are the game mechanics and systems and i'm going to each introduce each one individually and make sure the player knows like how each one works before introducing the next one sure. and making sh- sure that like the art is readable this in this whole section of the talk are we talking about getting the the sort of information across like the data across rather than how the player reacts to you moving it around well, yeah okay so it's not about the sound of something when you land or the animation that when you land, it's more about like the little number that ticks away your health. The animation, like the way a character jumps and lands tells you mm. something about that character, like their personality and stuff. Yeah. But also it serves a function in telling you the state of the game. So like a classic one is like Sonic, right? So Sonic runs and jumps around. When Sonic's on the edge of a ledge, he does this like balancing animation. Yeah. Where he like stands on one leg and like waves his arms around like he's balancing himself. So that communicates something about Sonic's personality. But it also reminds the player that they're close to the edge of a ledge. And if they were to tap one more to the left, they would fall off the ledge. Yeah, so would that animation fall within the the remit of this section of your talk? Of rational design, yeah, absolutely, because it's you're communicating something to the player about the state. And the same when, you know, when Sonic's going really fast and he's in a ball, like his graphics, his graphic totally changes. So he's no longer looks like a hedgehog. He looks like this blue ball. And also the game systems change because when he is in that ball state, 
you can smash into enemies and without getting taking damage and stuff so the game acts differently and it's basically so imagine that sonic ran really fast and when he was running fast he didn't take damage from enemies but you didn't have the visuals graphic change state you, it wouldn't communicate in the set as well mm. basically that idea that was really groundbreaking at the time wasn't it it felt really new you know to give credit to like mario games they have loads of ways to change mario state as well like you can be big mario mm. small mario yeah you can be the one with the fire flower you shoot fireballs that's the... yeah but with sonic it was just the the pace of it was just I mean, it was it was faster than anything. They, I mean, Sega. Well, basically, Sega marketed it as blast processing, which was whatever their graphics shit was. Just they just made up a fancy name, which sounds cool, but means nothing. <laughs> I mean, presumably, all the consoles had that sort of frame rate, right? It's just that they um, chose to 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 feature it as part of the game. Nintendo and Sega had different graphics chips. Yeah, that had different abilities. There were some things you could do on the Genesis that, or Stroke Mega Drive, give it his real name. Um, there were things you could do on the Mega Drive that, like, you couldn't do on the SNES, but there were also things you could do on the SNES that you couldn't do on the Mega Drive. SNES had Mode 7. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, but I, I would think that you'd be able to do something like Sonic on the SNES, right? Um, it, I don't think there's anything unique about the hardware that made you be able to have a game that ran... Yeah, maybe. They did do things that people thought were impossible, like the the levels where the whole level rotates and things like that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm sure there's an, another podcast out there with, with the title, Could Sonic Have Been Ported to the, uh, the SNES? I mean, of course it could. It was ported to, like, the Game Gear and, like, yeah. uh, the Master System, but it's obviously a slightly different thing. Yeah, so, I mean, it's interesting, though, that they chose that. They chose to create a game like Sonic, which has um, a crazy sense of pace. Just the fastest platform game, I think, that's that had ever been yeah i mean in a way it's too fast to be playable it's a brilliant (laughs) gimmick but like it's actually very hard to react that fast and build a game but it's a real it's a real character of the game though isn't it yeah that that speed and 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 it's interesting that i think that perhaps that's part of the remit of the game was to make a game that just felt really fast to sort Mm. of back up the fact that they were selling that their graphics chips was far yeah fast. well i think that's i think that's true of a lot of games i think that's true of um do you remember f-zero on the snares no that was the like super fast driving game right and it basically was just a technical showcase for mode <laughs> seven so mode seven was the the sort of perspective drawing isn't it yeah it's like a pseudo 3d yeah perspective drawing thing which was very impressive at the time. Yeah, so um, on this, on my slide for rational game design, I've got this graph, which is from the same article. You can find the article on Gamma Sutra if you search for rational game design. It's a matrix that they've made, and it's got abilities, activities, time modifier, and space modifier. Right, I'm just having a look at this now. It's, this is a really confusing... <laughs> yes. I've, I've literally no idea what it means. Well, the abilities, activities, time modifier, and space modifier, they are types of game mechanics basically so in the abilities you've got run so this is relates specifically to rayman origins so in the abilities you've got run wall jump wall run punch walk helicopter and dive so those are the game mechanics of yeah of rayman those are the things you can do right yeah and then there's some activities which is like chase escape destroy and explore so those are basically goals for a level design so you could have a level design that's based around chasing you could have one that's based around escaping you could have one that's based around destroying and one that's based around exploring Mm -hmm. and then you've got a time modifier so you could have forced move which is where you automatically scroll the camera and the player has to keep up there's time limit which is basically where you have a, a countdown timer and you have to 
finish it in that time and then there's short window which is basically where like you do something and that activates a very short window of like five seconds where you have to do something else otherwise you get squished or something Mm. and then they've got space modifier which is vertical horizontal descending ascending confined and open which is basically just the geography of the game like how are you moving are you moving are you moving vertically horizontally are you descending ascending yeah whatever is it a confined level or is it in a big open space right yeah i get it (laughs) so these are all different variations basically that you can create within their game system yeah and so what they did is they've made this matrix where they're like well let's not repeat the same thing twice so let's have a level where you which is based around running and wall jumping and it's going to be a escape level and it's going to be a forced move level so the camera's automatically scrolling and let's have you ascending right that's the like gameplay theme basically okay and then you just go well we'll just never do that combination again in another level right like so that level's going to be uniquely based around that unique combination of things so there'll never be another level that's exactly plays that way Mm. and through that way you can create variety and you can introduce these things slowly so you know the first level would only use like the run and jump abilities it wouldn't you wouldn't need to use the other ones and then the next one you introduce punch and then the next one you introduce whatever so what's this got to do with like visual communication and feedback it's part of the well i guess it's part of the rational design system right that they developed which is about specifically introducing the mechanics and making sure all the time that they're understood. So I guess they set themselves a challenge in that game in that across levels, all of the various mechanics would change. Yeah, and they introduce new mechanics and they'll have levels where you don't use other mechanics and then they'll reintroduce old mechanics again. Yeah. You know, it's about thinking about the player's experience and the fact that they have to learn the game while they're playing it and that you have to communicate what's going on unless you're making some stupid avant-garde art game where you don't want anyone to know what's going on. (laughs) So I've got the next slide is the elements of design. A lot of this stuff comes from when I was lecturing game design. I was like, surely there's some like general rules and principles that someone else has thought of so I don't have to, you know, (laughs) reinvent art theory completely. When you actually look into art theory, so much criticism stuff around art is to do with either the history of art or ideas around conceptual art and like, oh, what does art mean? And all this sort of stuff, rather than actual practical things of how to make art better or like... How to draw a horse. (laughs) Yeah, first draw (laughs) two circles, now draw the rest of the horse. (laughs) The elements of design are line, or you can have a shape, right? Which is, so line is, you make a... Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's good so far. (laughs) You have a shape where you draw something that's like a solid shape. yeah. You colour it in. There's form, so like geometric shape, then there's colour. Right. right. So Okay, so we haven't coloured it in yet. Yeah, so now you've coloured it in. And then there's texture. Yeah. Okay, so as well as colouring it in, you give it some texture to it, right? So it could be furry, it could be smooth, it could be shiny, it could be okay. um, patterned, whatever, rough. Um, then there's space, which is like uh, the area around, within or between images or parts of an image. So like everyone knows like, Things are more readable if they have white space around them, right? To like frame yeah. them, right? And it's the okay. same thing in games. You have to so think it's sort about of composition, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you have to think about space. You have to think about: Am I putting my player? Yeah. Like, if the game's scrolling to the right, am I putting my player 
on the right of the screen well they're not going to be able to see what's coming okay whereas if i put them on the left they can see ahead of them basically yeah well like in a 3d game how am i positioning the camera is it the right distance from the player so that they know where the player is and all that mm. it's really critical isn't it yeah well one artist that i worked with for a long time had a background and training in comic book design you know graphic novel yep. design where his whole aim was to kind of fill the box right to right fill the, <laughs> Uh, to fill whatever you call the box panel and so whenever he'd come up with like a screen design i just f- would feel really claustrophobic because there was no sort of room to move it would be entirely filled up yeah so, so i'd often have to sort of just <laughs> pull back yeah you know i'd have to pull back to get the stuff in in shot and that also goes back to when i was i studied video production and one of the things i learned there was that if you've got movement in a scene if someone's running from the left to the right you want there to be space on the right for them to move into if they're on the right hand side of the screen and they're running to the right well yeah sometimes you might deliberately want to make a stylistic decision that you're going to mess with that but that would feel kind of claustrophobic yeah yeah i mean it's interesting there's loads you can communicate in film with like how how close you get to the actors and things like that isn't there and it's exactly the same principle in games really i I mean there's loads of things adapted cinematic techniques let's say so Mm. like for example when you're in the normal gameplay you generally want a quite zoomed out view so that the player actually can see the area around them and they know what they're doing yeah but when you are going to like a more emotional moment or a character moment or something like that you'll generally bring the camera right in yeah games do things like picture in picture as well where you maybe have a portrait of the character come in at the same time as seeing the other view right right so you have your main game view like older games used to do this because as a technical limitation yeah so basically you couldn't do like the actual character animating and talking and stuff but you'd bring up an overlay with their head on but like drawn bigger it's still a good strategy like in Mm. lots of games still use it um yeah so you've got line shape form color (laughs) texture space so interesting things to think about when you're designing like the visuals for your game and then there's principles of design so both of these slides are some this is just some tumblr lore that gets passed around between like artists on tumblr but there's pattern yeah obviously repeating things contrast uh super important you need to have some good contrast between your gameplay elements in your game like the things you actually interact with and things that are just background because if you have like a super contrasty background you might think that you can walk into the background and things and interact with it in ways that you can't sometimes they'll use solid outlines as well on the things that you can yeah well that goes on to the next one which is emphasis right which is like making things that are important look a lot different yeah yeah and then there's balance proportion and scale i mean scale can be weird in games basically but it's just something to think about yeah like in a video game it really doesn't matter if a mushroom is a meat at all (laughs) you're not gonna go oh that's a tiny person you're gonna think oh that's a giant mushroom yeah but then if you have too many things that are out of scale you will start thinking oh is that a tiny person yeah and actually if you think about stuff like mario i mean you don't even think oh that's a giant mushroom you just think it's a mushroom Yeah, I mean, exactly, because it's abstracted. I mean, Mario is really interesting because in Mario, you can double your size by eating the mushroom. Yeah. So it plays with scale like all the time that game. And then harmony, which is like making things go together nicely, I guess. (laughs) And then rhythm and movement, which is things like animation and stuff like that. So these whole two sort of lists of things. Yeah. You know, you don't really need to read a list, do you? I think most of us kind of get this stuff instinctively. (sighs) 
I don't know I find it useful to enumerate things it gives you some lenses to look at things if something isn't working you can go and apply these criteria you can go okay so have we got a line okay well this sprite doesn't use a line or whatever okay shape is the shape good it's like well maybe the shape's not quite readable enough rather than just design something and go oh yeah I think that's good or I'm not sure why but that's not quite right you'll go down your little checklist and go oh Um, does it not necessarily I mean I think you can I mean you could do that but I think also you can just internalize these ideas right well yeah um I mean certainly I've never seen a list like this before I mean lots of times for example though I've when working with artists I've gone right okay this is a thing that that kills you yeah we need to make it look more spiky and killy or like this is this boss is too cute it's not scary enough people are not going to understand what they're supposed to do or the hit area on this character needs to be more emphasized so that it's obvious that that's the bit you're supposed to shoot yeah this enemy looks too much like the main character people are going to get confused yeah so more practical considerations like that i guess but they all relate to these principles this thing looks cut completely out of scale you've given me this door but it's the wrong scale can you make me a better door so yeah going on to visual communication then some simple examples things that kill you are spiky if you can make it so that the person doesn't have to trial and error every element in the game but can actually understand its function by looking yeah. you know there's like idea of like affordances making things easy to sort of use and understand things that you can collect are shiny each player is a different color is a good way of differentiating players in a multiplayer game. Another one might be like each player actually has a different shape. Yeah, you kind of have to define a language for your game, don't you? A, a really important one is, for example, if you've got lots of different types of monsters, enemies, whatever, agents in the game, NPCs, and they all do different things to sort of make each one look quite a lot different so that you can quickly see what their function is and stuff. So, I mean, an example could be just say you have a game where you have a a knight and an archer. Rather than just having two dudes in armour, they've just got different weapons, but otherwise it's the same sprite or model. Emphasise the differences. So the archer has a really big bow and maybe he's got like a Robin Hood costume instead of armour, you know, maybe he's got a big feather in his hat and maybe he's got a giant quiver on his back where the the arrows are really obvious. Yeah. And then the knight, maybe he's like, his armour is really over the top and and maybe his sword is huge and maybe he's on a horse just to make the outline that much more different more knighty yeah exactly so it's knightness it's that idea of knightness and <laughs> archerness right you want to emphasize those ideas you know while still like being creative and like having something as unique as you want but at the same time just thinking about readability thinking about semiotics which is the like visual communication basically like what images mean latching on to existing signifiers of knightness basically and archeriness yeah another example on this slide is a boss that charges up before they attack right so you might have a boss and before they do their big attack they go yeah right they charge up their energy or something and it's like the point of this isn't that they need to do that because you could easily make it so that they just shoot you and kill you but it's giving the player a chance right it's it's telegraphing to the player what's going to happen so that they can think ahead and go oh the boss is going to attack after i see that i know they're going to attack so i've got the chance to get out of the way And it's like a way of making the game easier and telling the player what's going to happen in a way that is not patronising, basically, and not just like a big pop-up of text saying, the boss is going to attack now, you better... It's not explicitly telling them what to do, it's just giving them some information. Yeah. 
so that they can work out what they're supposed to do. Moving on, a brilliant book for understanding like visual communication stuff is Understanding Comics, The Invisible Art by Scott McCloud. I would definitely recommend this book to like anyone, whatever art form you do or whatever. If you even if you're a web designer, it's a great (laughs) book because it's just a book about visual communication and how it works, basically, and how you tell a story with words and pictures but especially pictures. And the book is a comic, so it's really easy to read. Is this next slide from that book? Then? Yeah. Right, so... Will you, do you want to explain it? Yeah, okay. So uh, I guess it's a panel from the book and it's got the heading Simplicity. So, well, there's there's some pictures, right? So there's like a realistic shaded sketch of a face on one end and on the other end there's just like a circle with two dots and a line for a mouth. And in between there's like a sliding scale of like going from realistic to cartoony yeah and the point it's trying to make is that the less specific version is more universal because it could represent nearly everyone whereas the sketched realistic drawing can only be that one person that is a drawing of. yeah and this is why like really simple characters work so well um basically and are so like evocative and are used a lot in things like illustration yeah because it stops being like oh here's this person doing this thing like just say take the instructions that come with an ikea flat pack rather than being like oh here's this specific person building this thing there's a picture of me building the bed right because it's completely non-specific it's just a stick figure just like an outline stick figure yeah you know and this is why like japanese things for a long time have used chibi characters which are these really cute kidified characters and like that has spread over all of asia and into europe and america now as well like and uh, the whole world basically Mm. has been slightly chibified since what's that word chibi i think it's just the japanese for like cute kid thing <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah you know when you have a thing that's like a little anime thing yeah it's like super super like simple right simplicity is a an important one so i mean you can have a game where you have very specific characters or you can have a game where you have very simple characters that could be anyone and it's up to you to decide which you're trying to do. I guess in old times when we had such low resolution, <laughs> yeah, we, it was sort of enforced simplicity, wasn't it? No, absolutely. And, and of course, the more realistic you get, the more people are nostalgic for the simpler stuff. Well, I mean, there's things, there's the classic things like Mario's hat and moustache come from the fact that he was only drawn for like eight pixels or whatever. And that's <laughs> the only thing, the only shapes you could make. Right. It's just like a simple shape that reads in a really low resolution. But it's interesting now that you are starting to see game designers enforcing simplicity. Yeah. What was the one with the silhouettes? Uh, Limbo? Yeah, the Limbo one, which is really evocative. Yeah, I mean, indie games use this technique a lot. There's other games like Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time, which is like this really simple style. Mm. I mean, things like Cannibal, we had Animatonic on, but um, yeah, Cannibal is like simple, isn't it? Another classic. Yeah. If you heard about the game That Dragon Cancer, Yes. then that's... Yeah. Well, it sounds like a really intense game. Yeah, I don't want to play it because I think it sounds too emotional. But um, It's a kind of uh, surreal experience inspired by a, a real couple's struggle with their young son who had cancer. And they've sort of tried to recreate some of that 
emotion or feeling in a game. But they've deliberately used very surreal environments that kind of reflect the real situations they're in. But they're very stylized. And it's a 3D game, but the models of the kids and the faces, they sort of have no face, right? Yeah, they have like a blank face. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. And so I guess that's a similar sort of technique and effect, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, a lot of times when you're doing a game, if you're an indie person or you're on a low budget yeah. from your client or whatever, you are just doing simplicity out of necessity, basically you don't have the budget to make really complex 3d models or sprites so you're going with simple styles that work so it Um, used to be that we had to be simple because of technical limitations and now we're simple because of financial limitations yeah and sometimes because it's just what works yeah but you you will find there are less (laughs) the simplicity level goes down as the budgets increase yeah like it's hard to think of some really big budget games that are use a simple style. I certainly feel like there's a very close similarity between that idea and the sort of projects that I take on. Mm. I know it's obviously they're more sort of art installations. I definitely feel like if I'm trying to develop an aesthetic for my projects, it's going to be based on, you know, the technology that I have, whether it's lasers or projectors or whatever, and what I can actually generate quite efficiently yeah pretty much always algorithmically just because i don't really want to have to hire a load of 3d artists and modelers Mm. no (laughs) and i think you can often you'll be trying to achieve an aesthetic with a medium that is difficult yeah to do right so i'm always more inspired and excited by the prospect of of finding an aesthetic that really does suit a medium yeah a lot of times simplicity is just better as well it's just better for the project like it lets the audience know what's going on Mm. more quickly you know because if you take something like a really big budget game like for example um, uncharted 4 which has just come out they're trying to recreate like an indiana jones movie type experience in a game and it's like all the textures and models and everything are so amazing and the rendering and everything it looks so amazing and stuff yeah and it has really long like lengthy cutscenes with loads of story and voice acting and motion captured performances and stuff <laughs> but the actual gameplay is very hidden underneath all that stuff whereas something like crossy road the actual game gameplay is just immediate yeah because of the simplicity right you immediately see everything there is about that game from looking at it and then you just press the button and you go it's so well suited to the medium as well isn't it isometric very simple shapes it's all cuboid isn't it yeah it's really well executed and actually you know as much as i'm always impressed by the massive open play games you know the triple a massive budget ones I would not want to work on one of those. No, because you are just a small cog in a big... That's not even... So, I mean, obviously that's part of it, but it's also just that it's really complicated. (laughs) Yeah, but then the thing is, the way the complicatedness is handled is that no one person actually could ever make the whole thing. Yeah. And so you're just responsible for one tiny part. But but even then you've got to fit into the complexity around you, right? Certainly it's an undertaking and needs a lot of management to do that and stuff. But like you, Seb, could work on the Uncharted games. (sighs) Doubt it. Right? Because by doing one small part, it's like you could be the programmer who just handles the ledge hanging mechanic and that's all you do. No, I don't I don't think I could. So I'd be complaining about the <laughs> platform that they've given me or that there's some sort of environmental right, okay, well. thing. Or like that the schedule was completely rubbish. Or the, yeah, the, probably. You know. I'm unemployable, Ian. Just let's not forget that. Okay, okay. 
So moving on, um, <laughs> on my next slide, I've got another interesting little visual exercise um, with the heading emotion. And so basically what you do in this exercise is you take a blank character. So you just draw, you, ha you have the head of your character, right? And then yeah. going, you make a grid of these heads. So just say like 10 by 10, so 100 heads, but with no faces, right? And then you draw yeah. one set of eyes in going down the columns okay so in the first column we've got round eyes in the next column we've got like sad eyes like round with like the eyebrows going up to the middle yeah in the next column we've got like low eyebrows like a frown in the next column we've got one eyebrow raised in the next column we've got like the evil angry eyebrows going down to the middle one mm. the next one is like the eyes closed so that's the columns and then in the rows we've got different mouths so on the top row we've got a flat mouth on the next row, we've got like a pursed lips. On the next row, we've got like a downturned, like sad looking mouth. And then on the next one, we've got like a, a really downturned, like angry Open type mouth. Sort of horror, sort of, so yeah. the combination of all these eyes and mouths give you like this amazing complexity of number of expressions that you can create and the number of emotions that you can like communicate. So like... Mm. um downturned eyes or like flat like closed eyes with like a flat mouth is like it's almost like a shudder or it's like a resigned thing whereas like closed eyes with a smiley mouth would be like total bliss right or like yeah yeah so each combination gives you a different subtly different like emotion is this from the comic book this isn't from that book no this is just yeah. like a, a sort of popular exercise with artists so actually you you don't need that many different sort of features to have well a massive exponential rise in the number of different com combinations no, exactly and in fact like the more like abstracted like your eyes and mouth are like the easier it is to communicate different emotions like yeah you're, if you're drawing like a realistic head it's much harder to do the same technique basically because there's you're way more limited in like how you can distort them eyes and mouth and stuff Okay, so moving on, silhouette. It's like a really important part of character design. So the silhouette is basically the shape, the outside shape of something, ignoring everything in the middle. And it's a big part of how our brain processes images. Right, so here on this slide, we've got loads of really famous cartoon characters completely in silhouette, and you can just recognise every single one. Like Snoopy and Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Fred Flintstone, Bart Simpson. Yeah. Is the point of that to say that your character needs to have a distinctive shape yeah yeah absolutely so your character should have a distinctive shape and and not just that like each thing in your game should have a distinctive shape like you should try not to reuse the same silhouette so like an example of like bad character design would be thomas the tank engine right where every like five of the characters are just steam trains and they're basically identical <laughs> apart from the color and then even then you've got gordon and thomas who are both blue so it's like it's it's like that would be a, a bad example like a counter example would be like chuggington which is a newer um kids train show but in that like one character is a monorail train one character is like a <laughs> old-fashioned diesel train like they're all very different shapes right i'm and just googling chuggington now it's just you see like if you compare chuggington versus thomas the tank engine it's a good example of like modern character design where we know we, we understand like the principles better <laughs> versus something more naive like thomas even though thomas is super popular still with kids so it's not yeah I mean, it's very old though isn't it it's 
yeah from the 50s i think you know even like mickey and minnie mouse are probably a bad example of game design of uh, character design because they're too similar or like um yeah it's like sticking a bow on it yeah exactly that's it's like mrs pac-man <laughs> exactly <laughs> Yeah, so moving on to the next slide, which is a sort of counter example, is colour scheme. Yeah. So would you explain what the image is? Well, we have uh, five stacks of, of two by two Lego bricks, right? In various colours. It's really hard to explain, isn't it? Because you know it's The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically on the left, you've got a stack of two blue bricks, then two white bricks, then two yellow bricks. And basically just those colours in those stripes, well, maybe on its own you wouldn't know who it is, but put it next to the next one, which is three green bricks, two yellow bricks and three blue bricks, which is obviously Marge Simpson. Yeah, I mean, I think basically Marge's hair really, (laughs) really helps to parse this this visual, doesn't it? This sort of massive stack of blue bricks really, really helps outline this one. If it wasn't yeah, so large, like, I don't think I'd necessarily twig it as The Simpsons. But yeah, colours in a certain order, basically. I think even without Marge, mm. if you had the other ones, like you would get it. But yeah. I don't I wouldn't. Well, we'll never know. <laughs> 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 yeah, so I mean it's really important. It's the you know, and if you combine a unique silhouette with a unique colour scheme for each one, you've got basically the foundation for like a modern game design yeah so i guess that's that's like chuggington isn't it where yeah. the, the three main train characters are all like red blue and green or whatever yeah. they are another bad example is like the teenage mutant ninja turtles original right they're all exactly the same proportion size shape and everything yeah they just have different colored headbands i have no idea which one is which right exactly and they had different weapons okay yeah but if you look at like sort of more modern designs for the turtles they'll emphasize the differences more really so one will be more tortoisey one will be more terrapinny <laughs> one will be more turtley one will be bigger yeah if you look at the from the the latest cgi movie googling yet again i think it was just called turtles right okay uh okay i got it Oh, yeah, yeah, they're sort of different heights and stuff. Yeah, the differences are just exaggerated a bit. Yeah. Um, R- Raphael is like more a lot more burly mm. than the other ones. When's that coming out? The, sort of, the first one was already out. Was oh, it? Um, was it good? Yeah, you've missed it. No, I didn't watch it. I don't know. <laughs> right, so the next one is very brightness values. And this is from a video that's on YouTube. If you watch my YouTube playlist for game designers, it's on there. Okay. And... That's where this is a screenshot from. And basically, it's like each part of the your character design, give it a different brightness value. So if, it, if a character's got like a dark jacket, right, mm-hmm. give them white gloves or white hands. Okay. Because then their hands will show up and you'll be able to see where the hand starts and where the jacket finishes. This is a sort of distinctive style, though, isn't it? I mean, I think you can have games with limited contrast right yeah but like this is good character design basically this is the sort of same reason why superman has different colored pants to his uh (laughs) to his trousers and why he wears his pants on the outside why he wears his underpants on the outside it's that you can then see where his leg starts and where his torso starts basically so it's like if you divide up the anatomy into different tonal areas it just makes the character read better. Bart Simpson is a terrible one because you don't know where his hair starts from his head. <laughs> yeah, so you're, you're saying that Bart Simpson is bad character design. Yeah, in that respect. It's, cl- it's classic though, isn't it? You don't know what his hair is. And they've they've even joked about it loads of times on The Simpsons yeah. where there's one where Bart and Simpson are looking in the mirror and they're like, what are we? That's... Where does my hair start? <laughs> but that's such a, um, <laughs> a stylistic choice though, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. It is. And it's made it like 
made him one of the most iconic cartoon characters of the 20th century. I think, as we've talked about before, there's no rules. These are just, <laughs> like, things to think about, aren't right. they? But, like, if a character's hat is the exact same colour as their head, if you give someone a skin-toned hat, yeah, right, that is, a bit, <laughs> that is silly character design because you're going to go, have they got a hat? Have they got, are they a hat? Have they got a rule-in-one hat, hat, and, hat and head? Yeah. Like, what are they? You won't understand it. Okay, now, so. because I keep interrupting, we're just going really long, aren't we? Okay, let's speed up then. Let's, Go on. So that's very brightness values. Think about, um, I mean, you know, you can have humanoid characters or you can have, like, anthropomorphic characters that are, like, your character is an animal or, like, you can have a character that's, like, a teapot mm. or whatever. That You know, there's characters don't just have to be, like, humans. You can be really abstract with it. Yeah. So a great book if you're interested in sort of colouring and lighting principles and stuff is Colour and Light by James Gurney. He's the guy who paints the Dinotopia like pictures of dinosaurs. He's really good, okay. but um he's also a brilliant person to explain lighting principles. And this was a great one if you want to know about how to use colour and and light in your artwork. It's a really good book. Okay. Definitely worth a read. Like I would recommend that one. Mm. Even if you're not an artist yourself. It gives you a vocabulary to talk to artists and stuff. Mm. A bit like I'm trying to do with this podcast, I suppose now. <laughs> limited color palette is really cool technique yeah so you basically just like okay you can say your game's like all gray and stuff but except for there's orange bits or there's yellow bits or there's you know like the shinders list thing right where you have like the it's, it's all black and white and then there's just the one red jacket tiny bit of color yeah yeah the sin city movies are fantastic actually for this using this technique where it's just black and white and then like one really bright color like yellow yeah and and i think modern grading techniques is really stretching this really far i'm just trying to remember what it was but you know you you quite often get real blue and orange color palette don't you in the sort of historical yes things. teal and orange yeah. yeah yeah and i mean different directors have like a have sort of signature things like um who's the guy uh, i always forget his name the guy who directed fight club he he always makes like green looking movies yeah it's the sort of neon <laughs> light isn't it yeah the, the super greeny neon light of, uh david fincher yes yes yeah and, and of course you recognize that immediately in the social network as well okay so my next slide is to do with just banishing the color gray okay things are gray in real life sure you could say metal is gray a stone is gray but is it really gray is the most boring color so unless you're intentionally trying to create the idea of an abstract drabness yeah don't use gray so a classic example is like a fantasy castle in a beautiful fantasy world. Don't make it grey. Make it pink. Make it yellow. Don't just go, oh, stones are grey, so my castle's going to be grey. And there's also, <laughs> even if it is grey, well, what happens when like a pink sunset hits a grey stone? It creates a pink stone, right? Yeah. Things that aren't in, don't have an inherent colour, things reflect different wavelengths of light. And, and your brain is constantly adjusting for that as well, so it can, there's a certain hue. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we talk about, like, sunsets and sunrises as, like, the magic hour. <laughs> it's, like, the most interesting time of day by far because everything just has the most fantastic light. It's all <laughs> pinks, reds, oranges. But you just don't get the rest of the time when you've got this, like flat yellow and blue light mm. it's similar with photography as well that you know i've been doing photography for years but with the sort of advent of not only the filters but also the the different tonal adjustments that you can do to the color and you can really push it very far 
And although once you, if you first push the colours into a weird direction, your brain goes, oh, that's really weird. Yeah. But then, you know, you can guarantee that if you came to it fresh, you'd just be like, oh, normal. And so it takes a certain <laughs> amount of bravery to kind of make those strong colour decisions. If you're like colour balancing photos, you almost want to take it to a stupid, over-contrasted, ridiculous place. Yeah. And then just dial it back until you get to something that you're... Or just come back to it the next day or show it to someone else or, or yeah. whatever. Or do a load of side-by-side ones, like look at the super ridiculous high-contrast one next to the default one and next to some other ones and then yeah. you can choose... Yeah, so basically grey is bad, use different <laughs> colours because colours are just way more interesting than grey. Next slide, I've got a shot from Beat Sneak Bandit and I've got a shot from Monument Valley. And basically both of these games use a technique which is to make the stuff that's interactive and playable be really high contrast, like black and white, um, whilst the backgrounds are like more muted colours. Yeah. And we talked about this earlier, but it basically just helps the gameplay elements to stand out and you know what they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next slide is to come and explain it. It's just an example of like different textures that like the world's not just about colors i guess there's so many ways that like something can be orange Mm. you know there's orange like an orange or there's orange like a pint of beer or there's orange like a sphere of amber yeah or there's orange like you know all of these things are so different it's not just about color it's like the way that light plays on things the texture the small details it's more of a visual slide that one isn't it (laughs) yeah you can't really explain that one or this next one really because it's this one is a slide where someone on a concept art forum has taken some screenshots of someone's game and just drawn over them right to to show how they could have made the game more interesting basically (laughs) so for example there's one where it's like a ruin and then they've painted onto that one like these amazing glow worms and things and <laughs> it's always interesting to like add more light sources add more color add more mistiness add more contrast and exaggerated weather bright sunny days with big dark shadows are always more interesting than just overcast or if you're going to be overcast be really overcast with super big gray clouds and like, gray fog and you know things looming out of the fog or whatever so it's just like whatever idea you want to do just emphasize it and pump it and make it colorful and not drab okay and the next slide is basically to say have a color story as you go around your game have different areas be different colors it's the same thing that star wars does where like tatooine is yellow it's like a desert Mm. and hoth is a is like a white and blue tundra yeah right and endor is like beautiful green forest yeah and the death star is a a shiny black and white corridor thing and or the Death Star sort of grey, isn't it? Yeah. The Death Star sort of shows off the the greyness or the of that regime, I guess. So it's just like as you go around, have places be different colours, because then that tells you're telling the story in another way. Yeah. The next one is just exaggerate shapes. And I've got a slide from and it's a bit like what I was saying earlier, but basically it's a slide from um taken from Adam Saltzman's blog for a game that he uh was working on and gave up. Uh, which I think was called The Grave. Yeah. And basically it's got some different character designs. And the the one that I talk about in the original presentation, or the two that I talk about is the, there's a guy with a shield and a girl with a bomb. Mm. And basically the guy with the shield, he's holding a big shield, which is about half of his sprite. But his head, his helmet, he's on his head he's got a helmet 
and the helmet is the same shape as the shield but upturned yeah and he's also got a shoulder pad piece which is also like a shield so it just totally hammers home the idea that like this is shield guy this is shieldy and that he's gonna shield stuff <laughs> and then next to him is the bomber with like a welding mask and on her back is a huge bomb the bomb is like easily three times her size so the overall shape of the sprite is just a bomb yeah right the overall outline of the sprite is a bomb shape with the giant fuse and all that stuff yeah her whole silhouette and her whole being just communicates bombness and it's very clever it's the same technique basically as the knight and the archer oh the next one is just beware defaults oh yeah yeah just be careful with the default settings that come with things because they're normally really bad i know this is something that brendan Dawes sort of gave me this idea i think really if everyone just goes with the default everything looks the same yeah and it's like important to have good defaults if you're making a tool but if you're using a tool just go and change the defaults (laughs) just break them and we'll probably leave it there okay and we'll carry on next time with animation but that's such a big topic on its own we can't do it now so is it going to be a four-part series it might be a four-part that's a very real prospect increasingly inaccurately named trilogy as as douglas adams (laughs) said right there is hitchhiker's trilogy which i think there were six books in the end the quadrilogy this that would be a hexilogy hexilogy (laughs) right anyway yes excellent see you all next time yeah should we deal with the links uh i've got to go okay with what link patreon Oh, we've done that. We did it at the start of the episode. Yeah, then we can do it again. No, I've got to go. Oh, fine. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening, guys. Support bye. us on Patreon. Follow us on iTunes, Facebook, yep. everything. Thanks. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>